0: And I really think that at the end of the day, an organization is going in a certain direction. An employee needs to say, I like this direction or I don't. Because when push comes to shove, the boss is not gonna leave. You're gonna leave. So you need to make the choice. And if enough employees make the choice, they say, hey, I don't like what I see here and I'm leaving. And if 20,000 people do that, Google's gonna be like, okay, we need to change that shit.
1: Welcome to the Seven Hats Podcast. My name is Yuval Selig. And I've been on the entrepreneurial roller coaster for over 20 years. I've experienced it all throughout my journey, the grind, burnout, failure, and ultimately success. The turning point for me was realizing that building a successful company is meaningless if you neglect the other significant areas of your life. So today, I'm inviting you to join me on an adventure through those seven areas, what I call the seven hats. Every week, my guests and I will drop valuable insights and pearls of wisdom, helping, motivating, and inspiring you to get your seven hats in order and deliver real impact with meaning. So let's get going. Welcome, seven hatters. Today, we dive deep into hat number four, the entrepreneur's hat, as I interview my guest and co-founder, Chris Ambarian. I saved the 11th episode a very special number in my book to discuss a very special topic that's close to my heart and the foundation of all my companies, culture. Let's dive again into the seven hats and unravel what culture is and what culture is not and how Chris and I built Promomatch culturally from the ground up. Make sure to stay till the end as we provide the four most important tips that you can incorporate right now to build a world-class culture in your organization. Chris and Barion, you were my first guest on The Seven Hats, <laughs> and now you are the first alumnus to come back. Happy. Welcome to The Seven Hats, Chris. Happy to
0: be back. Happy to be back. Always happy to be back.
1: Today, we're going to speak about culture, and I have to say that it's a pleasure developing the promo mash culture with a co-founder who's on the same page because it wasn't always the case for me. So this really stems from my time in the corporate world and learning about the story of the late Zappos, Tony Shea, and how he created the culture based upon his time at Link Exchange. Mm -hmm. You know, everything was good in the beginning, but his team back then never focused on culture until it was too late. I remember reading when he said, take making money out as part of the motivation or equation. And then it's all about working with people that you would enjoy hanging out with, even if you weren't working together. And so when he was about to sell Link Exchange, Tony dreaded going to work. Yeah. And that was a sign for him that shaped his entire culture and why the culture was number one at Zappos. So if you define culture, and I'll read a basic definition of culture, and I'd like to hear your take on it, but the definition is, it's the collective personality of an organization. It's what sets an organization apart. it defines the organization and then shapes the organization and what it aspires to be. so what is your take on it? Do you agree with that statement you know i th- that that sounds like a, a pretty modern
0: definition and I think everything's about personality, but people don't think about where it comes from so i i I kind of define culture especially in in the sense of companies as kind of the whole set of of behaviors and things that we do and how we look and and, uh, you know, the way that we you know respond in situations, yes, but kind of all that is underpinned by a set of values, ideally a shared set of values, because to the extent that everybody shares the same values, gets into it for the right reason, uh, the same reason, not necessarily right reason, but all the same mission and reason, then all those behaviors are kind of natural and, and the fundamentals of business, because business is hard enough as it is, at least if you've got the way that you operate, all the same, making a, an efficient business a lot easier.
1: How important is culture to the entrepreneur today? Uh, like everything, pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: you know, of course, you know there's a lot of balls to juggle, right? Uh, when we are building a company, but I, I think very, very quickly, you know, like you gotta, people think, oh, I'm, I've got this great product idea, you know, and there's a company, nope. And then you get the product and you get market traction and then you've got to produce it. and But very, very quickly, somewhere along that path, well before you've got, you're at the point where you're going to scale, you're going to find out that culture really, really matters and that you're unlikely to even finish your product before culture rears its its head. And you're definitely not going to get through market traction before culture really shows itself as how important it is.
1: So are you officially on the Seven Hats podcast stating to the world that culture is more important than sales? operations, product development, marketing.
0: It's the only thing that applies to everything, to everyone, because everybody's got to work together. You know, there's, there's no lone rangers in any good company these days. You know, the, the lonely rider in the sunset slaying the dragons and saving the world doesn't exist. Everything is an efficiently run organization of people working together. And, uh, and in order to do that, got to have this whole cultural thing figured out. And, and as proof, I'll say that, you know, when you and I were, were working on ProMash, I mean, you'll remember back in my backyard, uh, uh, sitting there, we were working on our business plan for months, as I recall. But at the time of the business plan, integral to the, the business plan was the culture that we wanted to create, the type of company that we wanted to create. And I think that worked out pretty well.
1: I don't remember anything other than sipping on scotch and smoking cigars. Well, that was a part of the culture, right? So (laughs) that was part of the culture. (laughs) So a quick question uh, in terms of the mentality of the team and the founders. We discussed how culture is working today. Uh, basically, it seems like individuals over the past generation have been raised with a mindset of self individualization. It's all about individual contribution and all about me rather than the tribe. Is there a dichotomy and a paradox where in the past culture was all about the group survival or getting together with uh, with your tribe to make sure that a lion or a, or a tiger doesn't eat you? Right, do we have a dichotomy and paradox in this day and age?
0: love those those words distinguish at some point here, but i think I think you know history is a long time, and thing I think things ebb and flow, certainly back in cave person days, we probably you know did need to kind of stick together in order to to make it. if you were you know out there just being on your own, chances are you were going to get jumped by. You know, some creature in the bushes, and you were much less less likely to make it than, you know, say, some group of of folks. So, so there was that aspect. I think that probably lasted a while. And you know, agriculture came along, and to some extent, cities and trade routes and stuff like that came up. But farmers could be very much individual. They could have their family off in the sticks, and you were much more self reliant. And I think there was you know a lot of that underpinned the uh, the opening up of the the U.S. continent, and that's part of the fabric of of our history that sort a of rugged individualism but then you know then we had these great wars between countries and then there was this massive cohesion and nationalism and and like hey we got to stick together and beat those bad guys over there or it's an existential threat to us that way so it was a big group thing and then you had the me generation in the 60s and now it was an individual thing again and i think right now you know it's a really unprecedented time we got like five different generations probably four very soon but five generations of Really distinct demographics or personalities working together, and you've seen the full swing through those different types. Uh, you've got, you know, everything from very, very much, you know, all for one people who are for the group. Then you have the the really sort of individualist types, and now you have a new kind of group, the sort of tribalism that you see in the the youngest generations coming up now, where uh, you know the, the identity politics and that kind of thing are, are really taking hold. And it's a, it's a different kind of, in some ways, a less thought through one. And I think one of the, you know, to answer your question, yeah, there is a paradox in there. And I think, you know, our job as, as stewards of culture, creators of culture, hopefully, is to think those things through because there are times when things have changed and there are times when things are timeless. And so you have to like distinguish what, what, are the, what are the immutable values that really shouldn't change through time. And you might have to champion that because some of your generations of workers or coworkers aren't going to agree with that. And you have to make your case and say why this is a great thing. And, uh, and you have to be able to defend it. And in order to defend it, you have to really think about it. Gotta be a student. Do you think that culture drives behavior or does
1: behavior drive culture?
0: Uh, much more the former than the latter. I think most of our behaviors is driven by, predicated by the culture that we come from. The question is where did that culture come from? Somebody created that culture. Now we might've all done it collectively accidentally, which I think happens a lot of times, but it's possible to say, hey, this is the culture that we want, but you have to do it right at the beginning. And then you really got to stand for it and really help it take hold. It needs to be something that's consistent with kind of the natural laws of the landscape and the time you can't start a fire in a rainstorm, but to the extent that uh, you look at the, the layout and say, hey, I think we should do this. This will be the right thing to do in this situation. Uh, you can create a culture from the beginning that you'll like better later.
1: As we grew our team at Promash and new members joined the group, we have to acknowledge, right, that they brought in their own culture into our environment. Mm-hmm. Right. Because they see it with their own cultural glasses. Right. And the lens in which their brain sees sure. the world shapes their reality. Right. For sure. So how do you manage that? Because obviously we've grown the team to 40 plus people over the years mm-hmm. and each division had its own uh, specific glasses that they've mm-hmm. seen okay. their culture because we were pretty much remote across the world. Mm-hmm. Why do you think we were so successful in building a cohesive team across all these cultural differences? Gosh, that's a
0: great compound question. A lot of things were buried in that. So members joining the team, uh, we have to make a choice there, uh, size of the team, that 40-ish you know, size, I'll talk about that. Um, why were we so successful? Let me start the easy part. Why were we so successful? Because we thought about it in advance. And we have some experience. You know, we've both worked in a team and we've led teams before, and we've seen, you know, the pluses and minuses, the pitfalls. And so I think, you know, our conversations early on were very, very valuable. And that's why. Short answer. But what are the details of that? As new members come in, and, and we we haven't been perfect, obviously. Some members we've liberated back to the job market, shall we say? <laughs> and you have to like you have to look at that. Here's here's the thing. You want a certain culture in, in your company. You don't wanna to limit too much because we also understand the value of diversity. And diversity is great with limits because complete diversity, total representation of all different viewpoints results in gridlock and it results in chaos and no direction and you will fail. You know, And it sounds great on paper, but the reality is no, that doesn't work. There's only one captain of the boat, so to speak, and that captain says the direction that we're going. If you pull everybody on the ship and ask them what they wanna do, it's going to be chaos. And, and for sure, a company is like a ship more than it's not like a ship. So there's that. When you're hiring someone, you have to like hang it out there. This is who we are, guys. This is our culture. This is how it's going to be. There's going to be ping pong tables in the lounge and you can, you can do whatever you want at all times. You know, that's, that's what some people want. You hang that out there and it's going to attract that. When we were advertising for all of our positions, ping pong tables were nowhere to be found. It was more about the quality of like, this is, how we treat people. This is the kind of work that we do. This is what we're up to. This is the way we communicate. These are you know, kind of the rules that we think support the development of people, the uh, camaraderie, the efficiency, the, the things that we wanted to get done. So when you hang that out there, immediately you're gonna start self-filtering the market. You attract, it's law of attraction. You attract the ones that, ooh, I like that. And the other ones that don't like that, they're like, oh, efficiency? Hell with that, you know, and they're going to walk away and you're never going to hear from them. Hopefully there's a lot of that up front, but then you want to bring in people that, that do represent a diverse, some somewhat diverse set of viewpoints and perspectives. I think diversity is really great in skills and experiences because then they can cover your blind spots, but you just kind of have to get some experience about how much is too much. And uh, certainly we've we've, you know, we've like gone against some better judgment or sometimes we just like didn't know we hire somebody who is a little too diverse it just ends up being disruptive no disrespect to them but it's just not compatible they come in they're not happy you're not happy and greater productivity or quality or something doesn't result and so that's just a lose 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 proposition for for everyone involved you know correct those things when they happen with it in mind that you know you want to have a culture that chooses a clear direction but it's expansive enough to allow for some diversity but also knows when enough is enough.
1: So really, I mean, there's a really good example, and I don't know if many entrepreneurs out there listening know this. There was a time where 20,000 people walked out of Google in protest over a sexual harassment policy. It was called the hashtag google walkout movement and it started after uh the new york times reported that uh android co-founder andy rubin received 90 million dollars after they learned that there was a sexual misconduct allegation against him now rubin he left the company with the 90 million and the praise of the parent company of google and google never revealed the allegation against him so what happened was this mass march happened in front of Google's eyes. And the reality is not every employee will protest out loud like the 20,000 Google uh, employees did. Most will protest quietly or in ways that will undermine leadership or the objective of the company. Right. Perhaps they just disengaged. So what do you think about the, the walk, the 20,000 employee walk. And also to contrast that, and not every company is going to have that environment where employees feel safe
0: to protest. Well, okay. So, so boy, there's, you're asking good questions. In the Google scenario, I'm going to give a general answer. The general answer is you have to have integrity and you have to like chase down when things go out of integrity. Uh, and that can happen on both sides employees just having a, a crazy whack viewpoint or In the case of Google, the the bottom line is Google was wrong. This guy was a chronic misbehavior, and the employees were right and righteous in standing up. It shouldn't come to that. My belief is that, you know, management needs, if you're going to have a culture, management needs to lead by example, and you can't be doing that kind of stuff. And there's a lot of hypocrisy. There's a lot of young people involved. There's a lot of, you know, lack of experience and lack of clarity. But, you know, in this case, bottom line is they were wrong and everything that unfolded should have unfolded the way it did. That said, generally speaking, employees often get their feelings hurt or frustrated by their particular set of circumstances or their, their sub view of the universe. And maybe they don't understand all of the considerations that went into a policy or whatever. And I really think that at the end of the day, an organization is going in a certain direction. An employee needs to say, I like this direction or I don't when push comes to shove the boss is not going to leave you're going to leave so you need to make the choice and if enough employees make the choice they say hey i don't like what i see here and i'm leaving and if 20,000 people do that google's going to be like okay we need to change that shit and they're going to do it and that's you know that's voting with your feet and i think that's uh that's kind of the mechanism by which it- I, I'll tell you a quick story. I was a, a snippy, snipey, uh, just just a fly in the ointment in one of my past companies. Eventually after 15 years there, I left the company and uh, I was vacationing in Mexico a few months later and seven o'clock in the morning, I just sat up right and I said, oh my God, I was an asshole. And I, seven o'clock in the morning, I called uh, the office of my former CEO and he was in the office of course. And he picked up and said, hello. And I said, hi, this is Chris Ambarian," And he said, hi. I called them to apologize to him. That even though I didn't agree with the direction that he and the company were going, I had the choice. I could stay and do it, or I could leave. But instead, I stayed and undermined. That was just the wrongest thing I could have done. And I really believe that employees need to put up or shut up. And I think that management needs to set a right example. What do you think Google did with the protests? I think I think I think Google sucked on this one because they they really didn't. I, I think they're hypocrites. I think they're the the worst kind of billionaires uh and I think that they only did what they did because they had to because it was a public you know black mark that twenty thousand of their employees should publicly say what they were doing, and they never would have done anything if they hadn't and i i i, I bleh, bleh, ugly
1: so <laughs> So, so do you think most companies act upon the disgrace of the media coverage? Ooh, yeah. Or do that, you think another good question?
0: I think I think most do. It's 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 really powerful. Pure pressure is really powerful, and and public shame is a hell of a tool because you know that threatens your your business. If perception means that people stop buying your product or your service, that can be an existential threat for your company. So, like to some extent, you know, I, I think a lot of management teams are like playing the game. You don't even know what they really value. They're just like putting on the
1: face in order to not lose market. I really want to convey to the audience, if you're a founder and you're setting culture, just set the right culture that you believe in. Don't set culture based upon the way you're going to be perceived out in the world. Set the culture based upon how you would want your company to really act on a day-to-day basis, okay? Because that's what Chris and I did, and the employees feel it. They know it. They're going to smell it from a mile away if you're going to pretend. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, as a response to that walkout, Google sent an email to every employee and they said, quote, I understand the anger and disappointment that many of you feel. I feel it too. I am fully committed to making progress on an issue that has persisted for far too long in our society. And yes, here at Google too, and then blah blah blah, whatever else they say. Yeah, they just made. It I mean, that just sounds like a lawyer wrote yeah, that's, it. That's an excuse.
0: That, that's like, yeah. yeah, I'm not perfect. You know what? That's leadership. Leadership is about, yeah, you're not perfect, but you're more perfect than the average human being. That's why you get to be a leader. To to your point, substance matters. Long term, it wins. You know, if you're doing the right thing, when somebody calls you out, you you will say, no, I'm not bending. I'm not. I'm not defending. Here's why we did what we did. And if you have integrity, then you can always defend it. People still may not agree with you, but they can't call you a liar or a sexist or a racist or a bigot if you're not. And if you really have the track record and the facts and whatever to to back it up, then you can walk calmly through any minefield and you'll be fine.
1: Why do I feel that I'm never going to be ranked on Google search results again? (laughs) These
0: these are controversies, and you have to be careful about about how you talk about them. But just because somebody screams at you doesn't mean that they're right. It just means that they screamed at you. And people scream at each other. Sad fact of of humanity, you know that that we do that, and it's not perfect. The best that I think we can hope for is a tightrope these days. It's it's you know talk about minefields. Bringing a company up right now with anything resembling safety is like really hard to do. Because every turn, you're going to disappoint somebody or infuriate somebody or offend somebody, and you really have to have your stuff watertight in order not to fall prey to it. So, you know, when something like that comes along, you really, really need to have thought about it ahead of time and realize every every day, you realize, this is what I have to lose if I if I have a lack of
1: clarity. Yeah. You know, we, we spoke earlier. I said that the lens in which your brain sees the world shapes your reality. And I think you agree with that. If you can change the lens, then yeah. can you change the way that others see the cultural differences? That's, so
0: that's the other, that's the other thing. I, I'm glad you brought that up again because one of your tasks, you know, thinking about the culture is great. But once you've got it like written down, and we have it written down, we created a constitution. That we kind of like study every once in a while to make sure that we reinforce it. And I think your employees, I guarantee you, if you spent some quality time thinking about this, your employees haven't thought about it that much. And you have an opportunity to shape the way that they see things. You owe it to yourself if you spent that time to think about what you want. You got to spend some time implementing it as well. And that means educating and and influencing your employees educating because they might not have thought about it at all influencing and inspiring if they might have different viewpoints that you need to hash out because again if they have a different fundamental set of values than you it's not going to end pretty and so you need to like get that resolved and if you guys fundamentally differ then you need to like let each other go
1: and i think that there's a difference between changing the lens and trying to change the person because when I was a younger oh, yeah. founder, I was trying to change the person. And but I've learned over my uh, many years of hitting my head against the wall that you are not going to change the person. Yeah. Uh, the best that you can probably do is change behavior to accommodate the organization and what the organization see, uh, deems important.
0: Yeah. In fact, uh, you know, I think you know, as I get older and wiser, I think at some point you realize that you don't want to change the other person. You know, the whole reason that. You guys liked each other, was that they were different, that they have something new to bring to the party. And so you really need to come to a place of genuinely appreciating people for their differences. But you have to, again, you need to find that underpinning shared value. I find that, you know, usually it's not a matter of imposing my values on you. It's mostly, hey, let's just sit down and think about this. 98% of the time, you're going to come to the same conclusion because everybody can agree, you know, hey, this whole uh, thou shalt not murder thing probably a pretty good idea, you know, and most most fundamental values are like that and the other values, they're not important. Don't try to, to pen people in on stupid shit. Get to the fundamentals and if you spend your days just focusing on the fundamentals, you're going to make a better work environment than 99.9% of all companies that ever existed and people will love it and they'll love working there.
1: You know when we set the culture initially a lot of founders make the mistake of setting it and forgetting it and the problem is just like religion or governments right if you don't preserve the culture generation after generation yes you're going to run into a lot of problems it's almost like the telephone game yeah, uh, yeah. after a while your culture changes unless you really enforce it. And that's why really strict religious groups, right? If you look at like, let's say the Hasidics, they will enforce the culture generation after generation after generation because they know that, two or three generations down the line. It's a completely different culture if they don't enforce yeah. it. Yeah. Right? Well, I think,
0: I think that's one of the great opportunities that we have nowadays, because, you know, like you say, the way the way I like to look at culture is kind of like this concentric circle with you at the culture creator, the starter, the initiator of the culture right in the middle. And then, you know, the next ring is, you know, all the the initial employees, the OGs, the managers that you hire around you, that you interact with, and they, they kind of get you and they get your culture and you influence them a little bit. And then, You've got the people that they bring into their teams and that's another concentric ring outside of that. And they kind of, you know, would get culture from the other layer translated, you know, and then a couple of generations down the line, like that game of telephone in kindergarten, the message is completely convoluted and your culture is diluted. That's the way it traditionally was. If you had some group like the Hasidics who are super regimented and super strict about it and like, you know, they can reduce that amount of distortion from generation to generation and kind of like maintain their their culture. They write a book and they practice it every day. They practice a new chapter every month. They you know you know they have a structure for keeping it. Nowadays, it's much simpler for us because we at the center can communicate with everybody throughout all the rings you know, on Zoom or by email or by a podcast or by you know there's a there, there's a way to translate directly from the source without distortion, you know? And I think this is It's true in education. We have our old educational model is outmoded. Really, we should be hiring the best teachers and having the best teachers up there for all students to be able to go and see the ones that teach best, motivate the best, inspire the best, have the best information. They should be the ones that win and get to teach the next generation. And they should be like source. Everybody will be on the same page.
1: And I think you have to dictate to your team over and over and over again that they are the stewards of your culture. Yes. Because they need to know that you're not going to be there as you continue to hire levels and levels and levels of managers upon managers. So the, the, it's almost like your first ranked team when you first start, they need to really grab onto the culture and then you have to let it go. Not to say you don't continue to propagate the culture as the leaders, but you're going to lose the connection with your team yes. as you hire more and more levels. So you've got to remember that.
0: Yeah, I, I, I think the, uh, and, and that's, a, that's a, another great point. You know, there, there are a couple of dimensions of, of culture. There's the, the sort of principles and facts and whatever. And then there's the, the, the human contact, the emotional connection that only comes, you know, really from your relationship between the manager and employee or the coworker we can be the good book or you know the constitution or or whatever our set of principles is but we can't have a, a direct relationship with with 1500 people so you need your your managers you have a close relationship with your managers and you teach them how to have close relationships with their circle of coworkers and uh, and i think in that way you know it there is there's an interesting phenomenon that where if enough people start acting the same way it just kind of like I mean, gets a critical mass and everybody starts act in that way kind of automatically. And you want to make sure that whatever that, that way that develops is something that you want because you know, if, if you allow gossip to be the way that everybody just kind of like automatically starts automatically behaving, not a good thing. So, so you want to be clear about those things and it, you know, it takes some
1: experience, usually some scar tissue, <laughs> but experience. But I will say, though, that culture is unique to the founders. There is no right or wrong on culture. If you want an organization that gossips, that's your culture. You said that culture. And ultimately, that's going to propagate across your team. And and the way that I look at it is, how do you want your company to be if you were coming to work every day and you would be ecstatic getting out of bed? Like, what would that look like? That's how you initially sit around with your co-founders and determine how is my culture going to be laid out? Mm -hmm. Am I going to micromanage or am I going to give the opportunity for uh, others to make their own decisions, right? What is it going to be? We decided we're going to be a remote organization. Mm -hmm. That's right for us, but might not be right for others. So again, culture is unique to the individual founders, but then once you create it and once you know what it is, you have to protect it with all your might, because then... What happens if the culture is violated? And we've seen that within our organization.
0: What do you do? This is where my martial arts training comes in. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you, walk, you walk placidly, calmly, and, and uh, you're gentle and kind and, and supportive and everything. And as soon as you see a life threat, and not a minute before, but as soon as you recognize it for the life threat it is, you kill it. And, and I think that you kind of want to have that clarity. There's not many times when your life actually is threatened but you want to have the ability when it happens to say i recognize that as something that's threatening the life of my company my beloved company and all my my coworkers and all their families and their mortgages and this is going to destroy the shit and you're going down you got to get out yeah. you know you need to sit them down and say you did this and that does not work here and here's a plan the plan involves you never doing it again or you leaving
1: ready and bro- here's and <laughs> And and here's and here's what happens if you don't. If there's a threat and culture is mismanaged by one of the employees and you don't do anything about it, you're toast as a leader. Yeah. Because there's really not there's not many ways you can get back to respect. I think that's that's really where it comes down to. But it's you know, all about respect. It's even deeper than that. There's no way to get back to self respect. Because you just took something that's fundamental to you and you basically didn't do anything about protecting it. Yeah. And that's an individual issue that I'm sure your monkey brain would have a, a, a field day a with. Field yeah. Day yeah. with. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> so so really, I, I mean, I, I always thought there were two options for individuals, but I think there's three. And I'd like to kind of mention the the three okay. out to you and, and see what you think about them. So uh, obviously an individual, when they don't, jive with your culture they can leave the company mm-hmm. find another company that aligns well with them and i think that's a great uh great option Especially. for many yeah. right they can also stay with the company let's say they really love the mission they can stay with the company and they can keep on doing a good job kind of swallow it a little bit but really try to address the issue you know in the future that's another option for those uh that that it might be fine for for those people like, I, i'm not i'm not saying that it it should never happen I still like option number one better for most. But there's a third option, and that's the Jeff Bezos option. He recommends the following and he calls it disagree and commit. Hmm. He basically says, Look, I know we disagree on this, but will you gamble with me on it? Disagree and commit. And when you say when he says commit, I'm assuming now I don't know Jeff personally, but I'm assuming he say commit to staying at the company gamble with the leadership. Like, I know you're not going to agree, we're never going to change, but just trust me that it might not be exactly the way you see it, but it's better. It's, it's the right opportunity for the organization. So what do you think of those three? Well, I, don't, I, don't, I can't think of any others. So, so yeah, the first one,
0: obviously I prefer that one most of the time. Second one, you can stay in a company if you don't agree with their values, but I can't really see how you can stay in a company if you don't agree with their values theoretically it's possible but just like do you not have any values if you do then you need to get the hell out so it brings us back to number one the Jeff Bezos idea gosh i, I think you know y- your analysis of it could be accurate but i think there's another way to analyze it so i'm not, and i'm not sure which one it is um, cuz i don't know the it, so disagree and commit to me it sounds like one of two things either what you said or this other thing i disagree with a decision but I'm gonna commit to going along with it, supporting it, and seeing where it leads, okay? And that makes a little bit of sense. It's like, and and you said trust, Uh, we'll get back to that in 30 seconds. The other way, what you said is, I disagree on this value, but commit to my value being right and your value being wrong. That just sounds weird. Um, And I, I think that's a situation where you just need to sit down and resolve it, and if you can't get aligned, if it's a fundamental value, you need to like part ways. I think it would have been a better saying if you said, disagree, but trust me, you're young, you're inexperienced, you're not at the helm of this thing, I'm looking at a bunch of things, this is my best analysis, let's trust the management team to be doing the right thing. Do you fundamentally trust us? If so, commit to it, even though you don't agree at this point, at some future point, if you still don't disagree, if you still don't agree, then you know, go get another company. And if we did wrong, then we'll make it right as well as we can. Yeah, I I think that would, that would play better with me is disagree, but trust like temporarily suspend that disagreement and let's see what happens. It all strikes me as temporarily putting off number one (laughs) at the end of the day, it all comes back to number one.
1: Yeah. I I really like number one. I think everybody just knows when they fit an organization, but I do agree that there are going to be employees and team members Mm -hmm. who are just green and they just don't know what's best for the organization and they might have their own thoughts. So th- let's talk about one last question. So here's the last question. How does culture evolve over time as your company grows? Should the culture change? Absolutely. Or should you keep it well, steady? So so uh, this
0: comes back to that, that notion of timeless versus you know situational. I think the core values, I, I don't see them changing if they're worthy of having in the first place. The challenge becomes like when you get being as big as Amazon, if you're gonna have anybody mailing those packages and you know stocking those shelves and working the robots and all that stuff, that's a lot of people. That's tens, hundreds of thousands of people. Suddenly, you can't pick and choose from the population. We have the 40 most awesome people on the planet for the jobs that we want at Mesh. When we need 1,500, when we need 10,000, that's gonna be a different situation. We're not gonna be able to have as tight a control over who we bring in and we'll find ourselves in a situation where you know, suddenly there's a thousand people in one corner of the organization who think a little differently about this situation than, than we've traditionally thought. And we're gonna to have to address it. If you think about it at the beginning thoroughly enough and you choose timeless values, I think you're gonna have less of that changing to do. If you didn't, yeah, you're gonna to have to flex with the times and when you got 20,000 employees, it's gonna be a different situation.
1: As always, I agree with you, Chris. <laughs> so so let's, let's leave the seven hatters with a few tips. I'll provide my tips. Uh, we spoke a little bit about this previously, and I think we're on the same page. But if there's another tip that you would like to add, let us know. So really, tip number one, for me, it's open a strong communications channel. Because you know people are going to check out if they feel like they're not being heard. Uh, it's kind of like an identity threat, and the employee will shut down. Uh, And, you know, believe me, that affects everyone, but it's also invisible. That's why connecting often and honestly with your team is just so, so important. Uh, And I I think creating these no judgment zones, embracing the team, having the ability to uh, allow them to challenge you. And the thing about challenging you, I will strongly, strongly, strongly recommend that you allow your team to challenge you at any time, but only in private not in group discussions or meetings, because that's completely disruptive. If, if you're in a group meeting and somebody challenges you as a leader in a disrespectful way, right there, it creates havoc. We've had that at problem mesh and we fixed that really quickly, but that's, to us, that's not gonna happen. It's not enough to just hear them out. You must take action also when necessary, because words without action leads to cynicism. So as you hear them out, make sure you really hear and listen. That's tip number one. Let's talk about tip number two. So tip number two is be committed to honesty in those communication channels that you just established. When you're on your one-on-ones, you should be talking about what you're not currently doing. You know, for me, when I have my one-on-ones, I basically ask the question, if you were the CEO, what would you do differently? Because if you see that no one is bringing anything up throughout your organization, I would suspect that your organization is blocked. I've never had... And I don't know, Chris, if that if, if you've had the same experience. I've never had in the seven years that we've been managing uh, team members where no one stated what they would like to see different in the organization. We've always had real honest communication. So keep an eye out. If no one's telling you anything, there might be an issue that you got to look into. But you got to keep on asking the question. So that's tip number two. Tip number three is you have to become responsive to the needs of your team. So as you're meeting, as you're jotting down notes and seeing how behavioral changes are happening in your organization, be responsive. Don't wait it out. Your team is going to know about that and they're going to feel it. And I think tip number four for me, which is the most important, lead by example. Team members are just like children. They're going to mimic you. They're going to see what you're doing. They're going to feel it. And they're going to mirror your actions. So make sure that you lead by example. If you don't like Gossip, don't gossip if you don't like interfering conversations, don't interfere in conversations. What do you think
0: i uh yeah I like those I like those those points I, I I'd like to amplify and then perhaps add on the honesty thing I think yeah i I have seen in our company situations where team members aren't saying what's on their mind. I think that's that's very, very common uh, some people are shy, some people angry. Some people, uh, they have you know a psychological complex with superior and infer- inferiority. Now, there's a whole bunch of reasons. You have to actively dig communications out of people, I think, is is kind of one of the keys. And even in the best case scenario, a lot of times you can't get people to communicate directly with you. They're just not up to it at that point in their development. And they have plenty of other skills that make them valuable in the workplace with you, but they're just not giving you everything that they could because they're afraid. And so one of the, one of the tips I've, I've found is, you know, you set your, your cultural ideal out there and they don't live up to it or you don't live up to it. And they have this thing that is unsaid. Here's what I would encourage people to do. Make friends, like close personal contact with some people in your organization, whoever's willing, like, hey, you and me, we understand we can say anything to each other. Okay. And then now that we have that, I want you to be my eyes and ears in the organization and talk openly with people. And like, if they got something to say about me, get them to say it to you and then tell me so that I know what the hell's going on. I can make the improvements so that their life gets better, even though they were afraid to tell me directly. That's not gossiping. Gossiping is the definition of gossiping is you're saying something about somebody else that you wouldn't say to their face. Like, if they only had the courage, they would say that thing. It's not like they were talking bad about this or that. It's there, there's a dissatisfaction. So you don't want to be like impugning their character. You just want to be saying, hey, this is what I don't like or I think is wrong. And uh, and so th- that, I think, resolves that whole honesty and communication loop thing. Uh, definitely, you got to build credibility, be responsive, do what you say you're going to do, and that naturally takes care of itself. Lead by example, for sure. Kind of the whole thing just builds up to, Thinking it through and having integrity. Integrity is you think it through, you state it, and you live that way. And whenever you like don't meet that ideal, you recommit to getting back to that ideal. It's not fragile. The way our, our society is moving is in a very fragile direction. It's like oh, you do anything wrong ten years ago on Twitter, and you don't have a career anymore. That's not a robust way to to behave. The best way to do it is to have a system in your company where you know there's kind of like a process. Okay. If you inadvertently or advertently create a situation, okay, first time when we see it or if somebody says it, okay, you, this is what happened. Don't do that again. If you do it again, you're gone. But at least we have this time where you may or may not have known, and now you know, no mas. And and you have to have a robust kind of process so that you can lead by example, Possibly fail, but then recommit and and get better, and then make an improvement. You know, you, we always talk about constant and never ending improvement. That is a kani process. Constant and never ending improvement. It means forgiveness. So integrity, forgiveness,
1: recommitment. Gosh, we could keep going, couldn't we? <laughs> those confidants that you were talking about. Yeah. Governments have those as well. They call them spies. Well, you know, spies spying is not all that bad of a, pro- of, a of a of a career. So it's for the benefit of the organization. Well, Chris another great episode. Thank you so much. I will have you back again for another wonderful topic that we can discuss and (laughs) so much to talk about. I appreciate you. And I look forward to getting up tomorrow and spending my day with you as always. Thank you so much. Take care. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Chris. Let's end today with the segment of the show that I refer to as what can we hang our hat on? And here's my takeaway. When I asked Chris if culture is important, he said, it's the only thing that applies to everything and everyone. And I agree. Your company culture is your unique identifier, your blueprint, your fingerprint. I've learned over the years that your competitors can replicate almost everything in your business except your values, vision, and mission. Those are unique to you and your team. A strong culture can make or break your company's success, but more importantly, a poor or toxic culture can destroy everyone's spirit and their will to contribute. Don't forget about the four tips for cultural success. Tip number one, open a strong communication channel within your organization. Tip two, be committed to honesty. Tip three, become responsive to the needs of your team. And tip four, As the leader, lead by example. I want to thank Chris once again for joining me so that we can all benefit from his wisdom. If you found this episode helpful, please hit that subscribe button and tell other entrepreneurs out there the value that you got from it so we can all attract even more high-quality people into our 7 Hats community. So for now, I will bid you farewell and success in your journey. Until next time, my name is Yuval Selik, And I tip my hat to you.